We're going to be learning in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the third piece in Hilchos Bikurim. This is Perik Vav Halacha Yotes. And now Rab Chaim is moving on to a unit of three pieces about the laws of Chala. And in this piece, he's analyzing a case where a woman made enough dough that there's a shear, the minimum required amount to obligate in Chala, but she's planning on splitting it up later into smaller loaves. So there's a debate between the Rambam and the Raivit about that, and Rab Chaim's going to analyze it. The Rambam writes, If a baker makes a large amount of dough with the intention of splitting it and selling it as smaller portions, so it's still obligated in pass. Because if he's unable to sell the smaller amounts, he's going to cook it into bread. So because it's unclear whether it's going to be sold before it gets made into bread or he's going to end up cooking it into bread, so he's obligated to take challah off the large amount of dough right now. But if he's planning on splitting it at some point earlier in the process before it becomes actual sa'or, it's fully risen, so then he doesn't have to take challah off of it. So that's the Rambam's psak, that when it comes to a baker, there's a difference at what point he's planning on splitting it up. But the key point for us is that if he's planning on splitting it at a later point in the process, so then he's obligated to take challah right now. The implication of the Rambam is that a regular housewife who's cooking challah, if she plans to split it up, she would be putter from taking challah because it's much more likely that she'll carry through on her plan to split it into smaller portions because she's not dependent on other people coming and buying it. She's just doing it for herself. So she can fully make the decisions about how she's going to cook it. Only a baker who depends on other people buying it for his eventual plans, right now he has to take off challah because it's unclear where this is going to go. Now, the Raivet disagrees with this part, and he rules that even a housewife who makes dough with the intention of splitting it up is obligated to take challah, the same as a baker. And he bases this on a story in the Yushalmi where a woman came and asked Reb Muna whether she has to take challah off the dough of Atrina, which is the thinner dough, what we would call batter. So right now it's not obligated in challah, but she wanted to know if because eventually she might turn it into bread, it's going to be obligated. And the psak is that shema timalech lasos isa, that maybe she is going to change her mind and turn it into regular dough, so she's obligated to take challah. So you see that the rule of maybe she's going to change her mind applies not only to a baker, but also to a housewife. So in the same way, when she plans to split it up, maybe she's going to change her mind, then she should be obligated in challah right now. So the Rambam and the Raivet have a debate over a housewife who's preparing a large amount of dough, but her plan is to split it up when she cooks it. Is she obligated in challah right now because her plans might change, or do we assume she's going to carry through on her plans? Now, the Raivet has this question from the case in the Yushalmi of Atrina, and Rab Chaim says that there's really two ways to interpret that. One is what we said before, that she was making a thinner batter. So therefore, it wasn't obligated in challah. And the second option is that she was planning on splitting it up into smaller portions. But either way, the Ravid's question is a good one on the Rambam because it says clearly in the Yushalmi that because she might change her plans, she has to take challah off right now. Whereas the Rambam seems to imply that a housewife does not need to take challah off because we don't think her plans might change. So how does the Rambam explain this question from the Yerushalmi? So Rab Chaim points out that everyone's going to agree there's a fundamental difference between a baker and a housewife. Because a baker understands when he originally makes the dough that there's two options as to what might happen. He might split it up and sell it to individuals, or he might end up having to cook it as bread himself. 
So at the moment when he makes the dough, there is a possibility that it's going to end up as bread and it's going to be obligated midoraisa in challah. As opposed to when the housewife makes dough, there is no possibility in her mind that she might end up cooking a shear because she's planning on splitting it up. So at that moment, there's certainly no obligation of Chalamido Raisa. Only if she changes her mind, then there's going to emerge a new obligation. So this is a key distinction between the baker and the housewife. The baker, when he makes the dough, it's possible that he's going to be obligated. So therefore, there is a dough raisa chala obligation here. The housewife very clearly has no dough raisa chala obligation. But what the Ravid's asking on the Rambam is that based on the Yerushalmi, it seems clear that she should have to take Midra Banan because there is a chance that she'll change her mind and end up cooking a shear. So right now, she should be rabbinically obligated in chala. Now, once we better understand the Ravid's question on the Rambam, so Rav Chaim points out that this debate seems to be Lishitasam of another debate the Rambam and the Ravid have in Bikurim Zion Tess. The Rambam's case there is two Jews who have partnership over dough, so they were going to split it up. So at that moment when they made the dough, they were not obligated to take off challah. Then after they split it, each one added to his dough from his own personal dough enough that he now has a shear. So he now has dough, which has enough, but it's composed of the section which he split with his friend and his own personal addition. So the Rambam rules in that case, Hareze Petura, that it's exempt from Chala. And the explanation is because Shekvar Hoysel Chova, there was already a moment when this dough should have been obligated in Chala, meaning when it was made. But at that moment, it was exempt because they were planning on splitting it. So once dough is exempt at the moment that it's made, it can never be re-obligated. So even though that original dough was combined with new dough, it's still all exempt. Now the Ravid disagrees. He says, The Ravid wants to understand what's the difference between this case and a standard case where someone made less than a shear and then they combine it with other dough or they even put it in the basket with other rolls and in that case it all becomes chayiv. So why in the case when someone makes less than a shear, if they then combine it with the proper amount, it becomes obligated in challah, as opposed to this case of the Rambam where they were planning on splitting it, where the Rambam says since it was exempt when it was made into dough, it's always exempt. So the Ravid holds in the case where they were planning on splitting it, and then after that, one of the partners combines it with new dough, so there is now a new shear, it would be obligated in challah. So there's a debate between the Rambam and the Ravid if someone makes dough with the intention of splitting it, is that an eternal exemption or later on it can be re-obligated in challah? Says Rab Chaim, that debate between the Rambam and the Ravid is going to be the exact same debate as we have here because the Rambam who holds that once it's exempt, it's always exempt is going to hold the same thing in the case of the housewife who makes dough with the intention of splitting it into smaller loaves. So even if she then changes her mind and makes a larger loaf, it doesn't matter because once the dough was exempt, it's always going to be exempt. So that's why the Rambam holds there's no gzera. We're not concerned with her changing her mind because it's not going to affect the status of this dough. And even more than that, says Rab Chaim, the Rambam can now answer the question the Ravid posed from the Yerushalmi, where it told the story that if a woman makes a trina dough, she's obligated in challah because she might change her mind. So the Rambam's going to answer 
that Atrina, as Rabbi Chaim said, there are two explanations for that. It could either mean that it's batter, or it could mean that she was planning on splitting it into smaller loaves. So the Rambam is going to interpret it as batter, and the halacha with regard to batter is different than dough which she's planning on splitting. Because the Mishnah says explicitly, that if it starts off as a thicker batter, and then she turns it into a regular dough bread, so then it becomes obligated in challah. So that's the exact distinction the Rambam would make, that in the Yushalmi it's talking about batter, and therefore she's obligated in challah, because she might turn it into regular bread dough, whereas his case is where she's planning on splitting it up, and there she's not obligated, because that's an eternal exemption. Meanwhile, the Ravid who disagrees with the Rambam in the case of the housewife is also Lashita, so because he holds that dough which is going to be split up is not an eternal exemption, it could be re-obligated if it gets the shear, so in the same way he's concerned that the housewife who's planning to split the dough into smaller loaves may end up making a large loaf, and then she would be obligated, so because of that she has to take off challah even at the beginning, same as the case of Atrina in the Yerushalmi, according to either explanation, whether it's batter or whether it's smaller loaves, because in either case, the Yushalmi saying that we're concerned she might change her mind, and therefore she has to take challah right now. So this is Rab Chaim's explanation for the debate between the Rambam and the Ravid that we started off with, and he's pointing out that it seems to parallel another debate the Rambam and the Ravid have later on in Hilchos Bikurim. And both debates center on the issue of if someone is planning on splitting up their dough, is that an eternal exemption or that's just a temporary exemption? But if they then find that they cook a shear of dough, it would be obligated in challah. Now in the third paragraph, Rab Chaim turns to a more conceptual analysis of this debate and he poses a very fundamental question. What is the exemption of dough which is going to be split up later on into smaller loaves, why is it exempt from challah? And he has two possibilities. One is that since it's going to be split up later on, we view it as if it's split up right now. Meaning the basic halacha of challah is that there has to be a shear in the isa. The dough has to have the minimum required measurement to be obligated in challah. So this dough, which they're planning on splitting into smaller amounts, is even at this moment considered like it's lacking the shear, and that's why it's not obligated. So according to option number one, the person's intentions affect the shear of the dough, such so that when it was made into the isa, the dough, it was already exempt because it didn't have a shear. Option number two is that a person's intentions do not have that much power over the dough, but it's something else, which is any dough which is not going to become lechem, meaning it's not going to be cooked into what's halachically defined as lechem, is not obligated in challah. There's two milestones when it comes to challah. There's the moment when it's made into dough, and then there's when it's cooked. So if this dough is not going to eventually be cooked into a shear of lechem, so then it can't be obligated even though there was a shear in the isa. The way Rab Chaim puts it, 
the halachic concept of lechem is the essential obligation of challah. It's like the Torah describes it as from the bread of the land. So the whole obligation of challah at the dough stage is dependent on it becoming bread afterwards. So in this case where they're planning to split it up later, the reason why it's exempt when it's dough is not because of any lack in the dough step, but because since this dough won't eventually become lechem, it's not going to be obligated in challah. And Rab Chaim's example for this is the case in the Mishnah that he mentioned earlier in Chala Aleph Hey. It says, If when he made the dough, he intended to make it batter, and then he ended up cooking it as batter, so it's exempt from Chala. And the reason is because it never became a lechem. So the same thing would be if someone intends to split the dough into smaller pieces, it's never going to become lechem, and therefore it's exempt from Chala. So given these two options, Rab Chaim at first suggests that this is itself the machlokas between the Rambam and the Raivet. The Raivet holds like option number one, that because it's going to be split later, it's as if it's split right now. So according to that, there's no shear in the Isa itself. So that's exactly what the Raivet asks on the Rambam. What's the difference between this case where they're going to split it later versus the case where he made less than a shear to begin with? In that case, it's clear that once he adds dough to it later on, it becomes re-obligated. So the same should be true over here. But again, that's all based on the Ravid's understanding that it's lacking a shear in the dough. So it never became obligated. But if later there's a shear, then it should be obligated at that point. The Rambam, on the other hand, holds like option two, that it's not missing a shear in the Isa. There is a proper shear, but the exemption is based on the fact that it's not going to become lechem. So that's a more essential exemption in this dough itself, because it means that the dough should have been obligated, but it was missing one of the essential features of challah, meaning that it's not going to be lechem. So that's why the Rambam holds that type of exemption is going to last forever, and it's different than the case where someone just made less than a shear, where the Isa never became obligated at all. So there's no way to exempt it forever. So this would explain nicely the debate between the Rambam and the Ravid and how the Rambam answers the question the Ravid poses from the standard case of someone who makes less than a shear. But in paragraph four, Rab Chaim dismisses this approach because he doesn't think it's conceptually possible to suggest that because dough is going to be split later on, it's as if it's split currently. Option number one that he suggested, he does not believe is viable. And this is because of two problems. First, the Yerushalmi that this halacha and the Rambam is based on says that if someone makes dough with the intention to split it while it's still dough, so then they're exempt from challah. So the implication is that if they plan on splitting it after it was cooked, then that would not exempt them. They're obligated in challah because they're not splitting it until after it's already been cooked. Says Rab Chaim, if the whole point of the exemption of dough which is going to be split is that it's as if it's currently split and it's missing a shear in the Isa, then what does it matter whether the dough is going to be split before it's cooked or after it's cooked? Either way, when it gets split, it's going to be missing the basic shear. So that should make it exempt even from this moment as if it's been split already. 
So the only way to understand the distinction the Yerushalmi makes is based on the other idea that the reason for the exemption of dough which is going to be split is because it's not going to ever be considered lechem. So dough which is not going to become lechem is exempt from challah. But that only applies if it's going to be split before it's cooked. Once it's cooked, it's already become lechem. And whether it's split or not after that won't affect the obligation of challah. So the second approach is going to be able to make very nice sense of the distinction between whether it gets split while it's still dough versus if it's only split after it's already been cooked and it got the halachic status of lechem. The second question Rab Chaim has on the first idea he proposed earlier is that he's attributing this to the rivet. But the rivet cannot hold of it because the rivet holds that a woman who's planning on splitting the dough later on has to take challah at this moment even though it's only a so it's only midrabanan, it's not obligated midoraisa, but still she has to take the challah because she might change her mind and cook a larger loaf. Now, Rab Chaim does some brilliant figuring here, and he points out that even though this dough is only obligated midrabanan, it's not obligated midoraisa because she's planning on splitting it, but it must be that when she takes the challah at this moment, it does fulfill the doraisa obligation. Otherwise, you're not going to have solved any problems. Because if you say that this is only a drabanan challah, but it does not exempt a doraisa obligation, so then if she changes her mind and cooks a larger loaf, she anyways needs to take off challah all over again. Because now it's obligated me doraisa. So she gained nothing by taking off the earlier challah. So the fact that according to the Ravid, the rabbi said she has to take off challah at the earlier stage must mean that even though it's not obligated mido raisa, but it's enough obligation that she can exempt a chiyuv do raisa. Now that can only work according to the second approach that there is a proper shear in this isa. It's just exempt because it's not going to become lechem. But according to the first approach, that there's a missing shear in the Isa itself, so then there's no way to take off challah, which is going to count for a do-raisa too. Because the Mishnah in challah, Dalet Dalet, says explicitly that you cannot take off challah from dough which is missing a shear. So according to the Ravid, if the problem is here, that because it's going to be split later, it's as if it's split right now, and there is no shear in this Isa, so then it would not work to take off challah. And the fact that the Ravid says it does work must mean that he does not hold of that approach, but rather he holds that there is a shear in this Isa. There's a different reason why it's exempt. And that's why if she takes off challah at this early stage, it's still going to count even if later on she cooks a larger loaf, which is obligated mida oraisa. So if the Ravid himself doesn't hold of the first approach, and he too agrees with the Rambam's understanding of this exemption, then obviously there needs to be a different explanation for what the Rambam and the Ravid are debating. And also the Ravid's question on the Rambam needs to be explained because he compares the case of this dough which is going to be split to dough which was initially made without a proper shear. And as Rab Chaim explained before, you can't compare those two cases according to the Rambam because in this case there is a proper shear. It's just exempt because it's not going to become lechem. But that's different than saying that it was missing a shear and then it can become re-obligated. So we have to understand what is the basis of the Ravid's question if he agrees with the Rambam's general understanding of this halacha. So the way Rab Chaim explains it, the Ravid has a modified view of the Rambam's approach that because it's going to be split later on, it's not called lechem. The Ravid agrees with that essential idea. But 
he adds a step. It's not just randomly because it won't be lechem. It's because specifically it's going to be missing a shear when it becomes lechem. So dough which will be missing a shear when it becomes lechem is exempt from chala. The way Rab Chaim formulates it, the shear chala shebeisa having a shear of dough below lechem, but it won't have a shear when it becomes lechem is pater. So that's exactly why the Ravid compares this case to the case where the dough is missing a shear, because he holds that the two exemptions function the same. So if in the case of missing a shear, once more dough is added, it does become obligated, the same should be true in this case, that if eventually it does get cooked and it becomes lechem, then it should be obligated. So that explains the Ravid's comparison of those two cases. But it also explains why the Ravid holds that the housewife could take challah even before she changed her mind, when it's only a drabanan because of a concern that she may change her mind. And the reason is because it's not actually missing a shear. When the Mishnah says that one can't take challah off of dough, which is missing a shear, that's a technicality, that if there's no shear, then there can't be any challah taken. But in this case, there is a shear. So if she takes challah, it is going to work, even though it's an equivalent exemption because it won't have a sheer lechem. So the Ravid has to walk a fine line here. On the one hand, the exemption creates the same category as if it was missing a shear. On the other hand, technically, it is not missing a shear. So that's why at this moment it's exempt, but still the Ravid holds that she could take off challah and it will count even later on if it becomes obligated midoraisa, because technically there was a proper shear even at the earlier moment. Now, the one last detail which has to be explained according to Rab Chaim's new understanding of the Ravid is if this is an exemption because it's not going to become Lechem, which means even though there is technically a shear, there's still an exemption based on the status of Lechem. So that's what we call an essential exemption. So then that should be an eternal exemption. Why does the Ravid hold that it's only a temporary exemption, but in the case of the partners who split it up, if they add more dough later on, then the dough could become obligated again. So Rab Chaim explains this using the same basic formulation he had in the Ravid, and that is that the Ravid believes that this exemption is really the same status as if it was missing a shear. So this is not a real essential exemption. The case of a real essential patur would be like if a non-Jew or if the Beis HaMikdash owned it when it was made, so then it's inherently exempt from challah. As opposed to the other side of the spectrum would be if it was just missing a shear. So that's not an inherent exemption. That's just a technicality that this dough happened not to have a shear at this moment. But if later on it gets a shear, then it would become obligated. There was no moment when it should have been obligated and it wasn't because it never had the proper shear to begin with. So this is the basic distinction between an inherent patur which is permanent, versus a technicality, which makes it exempt, which is only temporary until or if the technicality is resolved. And now Rab Chaim further refines why a technicality is only temporary, and he says that there's actually two aspects of it. One is that it was never obligated, meaning there was no actual shas chova, which would have meant that at that moment it should have been obligated, but instead it was exempt. Because in this case, it never got into the whole concept of obligation to begin with. And the second is because there was no real pitur. It was just missing the proper shear. 
So the exemption was not inherent, it was just a technicality. So that's why the exemption only remains so long as the technicality is in place, but it's not eternal. So now given this conceptual framework, Rab Chaim says this is going to explain another line of the Raivid because he references the concept of Ein Dichui Eitzel Mitzvos, that an object cannot be pushed off from being used for a mitzvah, meaning an object which was disqualified from use as a mitzvah, if the disqualification is corrected, then that object can be used for a mitzvah. We don't say that it's eternally disqualified from being used for a mitzvah. So the Raivid is comparing the Rambam's eternal exemption of challah, which is going to be split up, to the case of Ein Dichwe Yitzel Mitzvos, and he asks that just as when it comes to a mitzvah object, once the technicality is resolved, the object can be used for a mitzvah, so in the same way, once there's new dough added to this dough, it should become obligated in challah. But Rab Chaim asks that this comparison seems out of left field. How can you compare mitzvahs to challah? They're two different halachas. And even though we hold ein dichoyetzel mitzvahs, that an object for a mitzvah is not disqualified forever, but the Mishnah says clearly when it comes to challah, that if it's exempt when it's made into dough, then it's exempt forever. So why is the Ravid invoking a separate area of halacha about mitzvahs to the case of challah? So Rab Chaim explains that based on his distinction between an inherent pitur, which is called a pitur, versus something which just technically was not obligated, which is called dichui, meaning it was pushed off for that moment. So this would explain what the Ravid is asking on the Rambam, because in this case, the Ravid holds it's not an actual pitur, because it's the equivalent of missing a shear. So it's not an inherent pitur, it's a dichui. It's a technicality which pushed off the obligation for the time being. So that's why the Ravid invokes the concept of Ein Dichoy Eitzel Mitzvos in this case, because he's trying to say that since there is no inherent pitur, so this case doesn't fall under the category of the Mishnah's halacha, that if it was exempt when it was made into dough, then it's forever exempt, because this is not an actual inherent exemption, but this is at most a dihui, so then it is the same issue as the regular case of dihui in mitzvos, because this dough is not able to be used for challah right now, but says the Ravid, if later on it does get the proper shear, so then it should be the same halacha of ein dihui etzel mitzvos, it should be re-obligated in the mitzvah of challah. So that explains why the Ravid invokes a concept of dihui as opposed to pitur in this case. And now, at the end of the paragraph, Rab Chaim brings together all the various points he's made in the Ravid. And he explains that the Ravid in his comments is referencing the two main reasons why a technical exemption is only temporary. The first is because there was no Shas Chova. It didn't get into the full concept of obligation in order to be permanently exempt. So to that, the Ravid responds that this case does not fall into that category because it's the equivalent of missing a shear. And the halacha is clear that dough which is lacking a shear and then gets added a shear becomes obligated. And that's a reflection of the fact that there was never a shas chova to begin with. It never got enough into the concept of obligation to say that there was a permanent pitur in that situation. So in the same way, the Ravid argues, if this case has the same status as missing a shear, then it's not included in Shas Chova, and later on, if there's more dough added, then it should become obligated. 
And the second reason is that missing a shear is not an inherent ketur, it's just a technicality. So that's what the Ravid invokes, the concept of ein dichu yetzal mitzvos, to say that this is not a real ketur in this case, which would be permanent, but rather it's the concept of dichu, a technicality, which is only exempt so long as the technicality remains. So the Ravid puts together both of these arguments to argue against the Rambam's halacha, that the partners who are planning on splitting up, it's going to be a permanent exemption. And the Ravid argues it's only a technical, temporary exemption. Now, in the last paragraph, Rab Chaim circles back to the Rambam, and he explains that the point the Rambam disagrees with on the Raivid is that the Rambam holds that dough, which is going to be split up when it becomes lechem, is an essential inherent petur. It's not the way the Raivid understood it, that it's missing a shear, even though right now when it's dough, it has the shear, but because it's going to be missing a shear when it becomes lechem, so it has the same status as if it was missing a shear now, the Rambam disagrees with that equation because he holds even if it won't have a shear when it's cooked, when it becomes lechem, but the fact that right now when it's dough, it has a shear should make it obligated. So how do you get around the obligation of the dough itself, which has a shear? It's irrelevant that it's not going to have a shear later on when it becomes lechem. So the answer for the Rambam is that there's a more essentialist inherent pitur, which is dough which won't become lechem is not obligated in challah, having nothing to do with the shear. It's true that there is a proper shear in this dough, so based on the shear factor, it should be obligated in challah. But because it won't become lechem, therefore it's exempt. So that's an essentialist exemption, meaning there is a shear, so it should be obligated at this moment, and it's still exempt because it won't become lechem, so that becomes a permanent exemption. So the Rambam understands that the exemption of dough, which is going to be split up when it becomes lechem, serves as the pretext to say that since this dough won't become lechem, there's an automatic pitur, which is an inherent and permanent pitur. That's why it can't change when there's more dough added later on. And that's in contrast to the Raivid, who formulates it that since it's going to be missing a shear when it becomes lechem, so therefore it has the exemption of missing a shear right now as dough, even though there is a shear, but it has the same exemption because when it's cooked as lechem, it will be missing a shear. So that's a non-essential technical exemption. And because there's no shas chova, and it's also not an inherent pitur, so it's only temporary. And Rab Chaim ends by dealing with one last question on the Rambam. The Mishnah that we referenced before says, If someone makes dough intending to make it batter, and then they end up cooking it as regular dough bread, so it's obligated in challah. Now the Rambam in Hilchus Bikur in Perik Vav Yud Gimel explains this Mishnah that the case of the sufganin, the batter, is that he intended to cook it in the sun, so it was an unusual way of cooking. But then in the end, he ended up cooking it like regular bread. So the reason why it's exempt from challah, according to the Rambam, is because his intention when he made the dough was not to cook it as regular bread. So therefore, it's exempt permanently, even if he does go ahead and cook it as regular lechem. 
So Rab Chaim asks, why is that different from the case in the Rambam where he's planning on splitting it up, where the Rambam said that that's not a permanent exemption? Even though the whole point, as Rab Chaim explained, is that it's not going to be proper lechem when it is cooked because it won't be the right shear. So that's a permanent exemption. So why is it not a permanent exemption when he was planning on cooking it in the sun, which seems to be the same case, that when he made the dough, he didn't plan to make this halachic lechem. So Rab Chaim explains that the distinction between these two cases is going to center on the idea that he introduced earlier, that in order for something to be a permanent petur, it has to be at the Sha'as Chova. If the chala should have been obligated and instead it was putter, then it's permanent. But if it wasn't obligated at all at that moment, then it can't be a permanent exemption. So the same is going to be true of these two cases. In the case where he's planning on splitting it up, it's not a total removal from the concept of lechem. It's still lechem, it's just missing the shear. So because it's a lower level exemption, it means that there was a sha'as chova, and at that sha'as chova, it was still exempt because when he makes it lechem, it was going to be missing the shear. So that's a permanent exemption. As opposed to the case where he's planning on cooking it in the sun, which is a much greater removal from the whole concept of lechem, so it loses its status of lechem entirely, and that means there was no shas chova, so the exemption is also not permanent, and if he ends up cooking it properly like bread, it is going to be obligated in challah. So the irony of this is that in the case where he's planning on cooking it in the sun, since it's a much greater exemption, it's also only temporary because it removes the shas chova. As opposed to the case where he plans on splitting it up, which is a lesser exemption, so that's a permanent exemption because it happens at the shas chova. So that's Rab Chaim's analysis of this. And to review the key conceptual points, both the Rambam and the Ravid agree that if someone makes dough with the intention of splitting it up into smaller loaves, which won't have the shear, so it's not obligated in chala, mida or raisa. Rab Chaim has a few possibilities how to understand this. First, he suggests that maybe because it's going to be split up later, it's as if it's split up right now, but he dismisses that. So instead, he suggests the idea that because it's going to be split up when it's cooked, it never gets the status of lechem. And he believes that both the Rambam and the Raivid basically agree with that idea, but there's a key distinction in their formulation of it. The Rambam holds that it's an essential concept, that any dough which won't become halachic lechem is not obligated in challah. The Raivid, on the other hand, understands it as a byproduct of the fact that it won't have a shear when it's cooked. So any dough which is not going to be obligated and have the shear when it's lechem is not obligated now either. And there's a key distinction between those two formulations, which has to do with the second major conceptual point Rav Chaim develops in this piece, and that is the distinction between an inherent essential pitur versus a technical dichui. So the Rambam and the Ravid's formulations of this halacha are going to play out differently because according to the Rambam that it's an essential halacha, it means that it's a ptur. Whereas according to the Ravid that it's similar to lacking a shear, so that's a dichoi, that's a technicality. And Rab Chaim makes some nice points about this distinction between an inherent ptur versus a technicality that something which is missing a shear, both the Rambam and the Ravid are going to agree is just a technicality. 
But that involves two aspects. One is that since there was no Shas Chova, it never became obligated, therefore it can't be an essential Petur. And the second is that since it's missing a Shior, it's not considered an inherent exemption, it's just a technicality that it didn't become obligated. So both of those reasons make it that it's not a permanent exemption. So those are the two main conceptual issues that he's discussing, the difference between the Rambam and the Ravid in formulating what the exemption of dough, which is going to be split up is, and how that plays out with the distinction between an inherent pitur and a technicality. And in the last few lines, Rab Chaim seems to say that the Rambam himself would agree somewhat with the Ravid's idea that there is a distinction between the case where the dough is going to be split up versus, say, a case where he's planning on cooking it in the sun, that that is a much more essential concept that it's not lechem anymore. As opposed to in the case where he's splitting it up, it doesn't lose the status of lechem, it's just not obligated. So that's similar to the Ravid's distinction that in that case it has the same status as if it's missing a shear. The Rambam doesn't hold of it that strong but he does see a difference between the case where it's going to lose the shear when it becomes lechem versus where it wasn't even going to be lechem at all, like it was going to be cooked in the sun.